everyone, welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sophia, your content and podcast editor, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this week's pod. Our very special guest this week is Lars Jung, the sustainability manager at Planet Protector Packaging, a business that provides environmentally friendly insulated packaging. Get ready for episode 10. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the special episode of the Greenfluence podcast. So as we know, we are focusing all about the circular economy in this season. And today we've got a very special guest, Lars, who is the sustainability manager at Planet Protector Packaging. Planet Protector Packaging is doing some amazing stuff in terms of looking at alternative to polystyrene to create a more sustainable and environmentally friendly solution. And today we are very lucky to have Lars who will be telling us all about it and the amazing work that he and the team are doing at Planet Protective Packaging. Lars, a huge welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Viz. I'm really excited to be here. And it's a really good opportunity, to, of course, for us to share our story, but also, you know, just for us to sort of maybe reflect a bit on what we've done and where we're at so far, because sometimes we're so busy and we get bogged down in the everyday today that we almost forget to reflect on, on the things that we do. Yeah, I know. I think I think because you mentioned before that you've been here at Planet Protector for a while. So I'm really keen to get your insights and thoughts about what's happening in the food and beverage sector. And because I've looked a little bit at, I guess, a bit about polystyrene. I'm by no means an expert, but in terms of the huge environmental impact by putting those to landfill, and if only we could find a way to actually to actually look at how we can divert the waste. And I think polystyrene has huge potential as an insulator. And also, while that's the case, it does have a huge amount of negative effect and really keen to hear more about that and the use of wool. And before I begin, Lars, I wanted to talk more about your background and was sustainability something that you were always passionate about? Yes. So as I was growing up, um, when I was going through university, sorry, through primary school and secondary school, we were always taught about the importance of sustainability in one form or the other. We're always taught about the importance of managing waste. We're told the importance of, um, you know, converting over to solar energy. Uh, Our teachers often implored on us to have the sustainability angle in the basis of most of the things that we learned. So going through, you know, primary, secondary school, this is always something that was a baseline in terms of my learning. As I progressed through life and as I progressed through my education, I did want to revisit that. So I did go back to university just to, you know, focus on this particular subject. And it has paid off for me quite well, because as you see the world changing around you, I believe that I've become more of a tool that can help to, you know, catalyze this change. And that's, yeah. That's my opinion. Well, that's what I feel about that. Yeah. It's actually very interesting you say that because I feel like for a lot of people, that idea of sustainability in the environment wasn't something that was really taught at schools. So I, I think that's super interesting. And and how did that transcend in your university studies? Because from speaking to a lot of guests, the concept of sustainability and environmental change wasn't something in their studies and something they had to look for throughout their career. Was that the case for you or has it always been a huge part of your studies? Well, I think I would agree with that statement. It wasn't always, you know, as a cornerstone for, for a lot of the education that we went through. 
but we did start to notice a little bit of it creeping in. And as time has kept going on, we have noticed the importance of it becoming a lot more. And now if I look back at university degrees as they stand now, sustainability seems to be one of the most, you know, one of the hot topics that needs to be addressed. It doesn't matter in which form or which subject that you're doing. It could be business, it could be architecture, engineering, ETC, ETC. So as time has gone on, of course, we have noticed the importance. But for me, it was, the basis was, because I studied geography as one of my, my core subjects in high school and through that we did have to learn about the importance of um, you know things like solar power wind power and the transition of that throughout the world and this has always stuck with me and this has always been a real point of interest for me so when I finished doing my bachelor's of business and my postgrad master's in business I decided to come back and focus again on sustainability and environmental management as an as an alternative degree as well awesome yeah and this was after you did your bachelor's right exactly Perfect. And and I guess the next thing I do want to mention about is your journey in Planet Protective Packaging. How did that begin? Because from what I understand, uh, Joanne started this in 2016 and, and, and I'm guessing you joined not long after. So what was that initial like desire to, I guess, work for like a startup in comparison to like a more established company? <laughs> I think the reason that I wanted to work for a startup was the potential for impact and the potential to be a pivotal member of the group was a lot higher. Also, for me, the most important thing when I was joining the workforce was to have learning, at least accelerated learning. And I knew right after the interview that the potential for me to learn a lot in this role was more than I could get in any, in, any, in any other company. Most larger companies might pigeonhole you, which is not a bad thing, but then they'll only require a certain skill from you. But working in a smaller startup, you get to, you know, get to be a lot more diverse. You get to be listening into more conversation. You get to be part of more decision-making. And this is generally what interested me the most about working for a small to medium-sized industry, a small to medium-sized enterprise and growing with a company. Uh, what I felt now is that because I've started with it, you know, I started in about a year after its inception, um, you become so knowledgeable about everything uh, and the way it operates, but also just having much more, you know, a, a larger cross-section of understanding of the way things you know meld together and the way things work together and that has been probably what the most important thing for me when in in my career progression that's so exciting and i think definitely um working in the startup as a young person is definitely a huge space and i think like even in the few years i think since you joined planet protector you see like the whole startup space is actually quite booming so that's super exciting and in sustainability as well you've got so much accelerator programs and things like that i do want to talk more about Planet Protector Lars. And before we begin, I, I was looking at Joanne's LinkedIn, I believe, and she, and she mentioned about the humble sheep as a secret weapon against the global waste crisis. Um, do you mind expanding on that and, and how sheeps are so important in your business model and trying to save the planet? Sure. So the humble sheep is the cornerstone of our of, of our invention. Just as the wool keeps the sheep warm in winter, it also keeps it cool in summer. And that is the insulative power of sheep's waste or sheep's wool. So what we've done is we've used biomimicry and we've drawn on the insulated properties of the sheep's wool, yeah. created and developed a product that we like to call Woolpack or we call the Woolpack technology, which is a complex blend of uh, fibers taken off, of course, off of the sheep's back. And we use this to line the inside of a corrugated carton or many other forms, just so we can pr provide that insulative capacity that's needed when you're shipping food, seafood, or pharmaceutical products from point A to point B. 
we like to say that Australia got uh, rich off the sheep's back because, of course, this is a sheep nation. And all that we're doing is, pro is, is continuing this legacy and continuing to give the sheep or the humble sheep that opportunity to be, a, again, a pivotal in the, in the transition to, more, to a more sustainable circular economy. Yeah, I think the role of animals and other organisms should never be underestimated in the circular economy. And I think we're better than Australia or New Zealand to have a business like this and to really see it thrive. Yeah. So I, I guess like, Lars, I understand there's like quite a bit of like science that goes into your product. Do you mind just explaining to the audience in like a more simplified version, what exactly you guys do at Planet Protector? Like what is Woolpack and what is the problem you're trying to solve? Perfect. So yes, our product does have a lot of science and it did take us a long time to actually perfect the product. You know, the first year, almost two years was purely R&D, really understanding the different fibers, looking at the different sheeps and try to identify which ones will give us the best insulative capability. And what we ended up identifying is that wool fibers have different characteristics that we're trying to draw on. So we're looking for certain things like the crimp factor, basically meaning how curly is the wool. We're also looking for uh, the, the higher microns. So you want a thicker piece of wool because that has slightly better insulative capabilities. We're also looking for hollow fibers. So hot fibers that are completely hollow in the inside, which again, improves the insulative capabilities. So when we find all these little uh, specifications that we need in the wool, then these are the ones that we target and we try to get these specific fibers, blend them together in a certain way, felt them using a traditional uh, felting process. And this is basically the core of our product. Um, the Really, the one of the biggest benefits to us is that we find these characteristics of better insulation in lower quality wool, not the merino that, that we wear in our sweaters like you I see you doing today but more the lower quality uh, wool that cannot be used for the textile industries these are the ones that actually have much better insulative capabilities and that is what we draw on so basically what we're doing is we're taking a fiber a wool fiber that can't be used in the textile industry diverting it away from landfill which is where it would have gone and giving it another life and that's what our wool pipe product is so are you saying that the wool pack products you use, they're mainly from lower quality wool and that's because they are, they're much better insulators? Exactly. Was that something that took a lot of testing? Because I, 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 I can imagine it would have taken a lot of R&D and, and I don't know the science behind it, but I think you definitely need a very strong case to prove that was right. Yes, the way um the way the way it worked for us, of course, like I said, a lot of R and D in the beginning, and that included you know going through all the different wool blends and types of sheep and trying to figure out what what are these, how can we get you know the best cross session between insulative performance but also price because in this market you need to be price competitive. So a lot of testing in terms of uh, insulation and R value testing. We're also doing hygroscopicity testing, so just absorption of water and how it behaves in in different environments. And basically, what we end up doing is creating a, uh, a like I said before, a felt a felted piece of wool. And the way it works from a more well from more I guess thermodynamic point of view is. Um, wool is very good at trapping air. So when you look at insulation, the most important factor for us is the ability for you to hold and trap air in this fiber profile. So in the fiber, you have still air and still air is actually a very, very good insulator. So if you wanted to get down to the slight nitty gritty, that is actually how our product insulates by trapping air and keeping it still. Right. Okay. We've looked a lot at the product, but uh, I think, Lars, it would be really good if you can explain to our audience what the problem is. So I wanted to learn more about like polystyrene, its production and its properties. And obviously, it's been used in food packaging for quite a few decades. 
why have there been so limited alternatives until this point? And why hasn't there been like the breakthrough? Hmm. So, um, well, I'll, I'll take you back a bit in, in time and we'll talk about a, a bit about the motivation to start the company and the reason why Joanne Howarth did start the company. So she was running a uh, meal kit uh, delivery service or she was assisting to run a meal kit delivery service in which she would get, you know, thousands of polystyrene boxes coming in and out of her facility every single day. Um, one of the main hazards of this was, of course, that um, the actual fumes from the polystyrene boxes would actually make certain individuals feel unwell. So that was one initial factor. Styrene, which is the main component in polystyrene, is of course a petrochemical and it does have certain leaching qualities that are negative to human health in general. But back to the story. So we were bringing in lots of polystyrene in and out of this particular business. And as of course, when we're delivering these polystyrene boxes to customers, we would get calls with, you know, customers insulting us and uh, well, at least telling us that they cannot take these boxes in because there's no way that you can dispose of them, not in Australia, at least easily. So basically people would have polystyrene boxes kicking around in their apartments, basically taking up a lot of space with no way to responsibly dispose of them. So that was a problem. So we identified the problem that uh, while we needed something that insulates, um, you know, products as it's being delivered, polystyrene at the moment did not offer you a, a way that you can responsibly dispose of this product without, you know, uh, throwing it, taking it to landfill, putting it in your red bin. But then the end of life of that is that it's going to break down into, you know, into styrene, which again is can be carcinogenous to to humans, or it can even make, break down into microbeads and go into the ocean and get eaten up by fish. Again, moving up the food tree to us. So these are the uh, the, the issues that we identified. Um, polystyrene has been in manufacture since about the 1960s, I think a bit before then, and it it's been a a very very good material because it insulates fantastically and it's also lightweight. So these have been the two main factors that have, I guess, propelled it to where it is now as a staple when it comes to insulative um, packaging. But as time has gone on, not only here in Australia, but all over the world, we're starting to realize that styrene or polystyrene has many negative impacts on the environment. And also we can see the future impact that it's gonna have on future generations. So, by identifying these negative traits, we're starting to see a race towards making more sustainable insulated packaging options in the market. Yeah, and I think that's something that Joanne actually mentioned to me. And I think on the website, like you guys in the race to be the number one or there's like a bit of a competition and you guys really want to get there. So, yeah, I really hope you guys do. It must be so exciting to think of yourselves as leaders in the space. No, no, we, we feel like we're pioneering it. When when you, when you almost you speak about in, sustainable insulative packaging, it seems like our name comes out on top of the most of the time now because we, you know, we were trying to be first to market. We have created a great product at an affordable price. And not only that, we work with customers to create new iterations of our own product. And this is why we've, we've had widespread use in Australia, New Zealand, and soon mm. the rest of the world. That's so exciting. And I think being very like successful Australian startup and circular economy is so important for our economy and the climate space. Um, and I think like that's something that's a real focus at Planet Protector is you want to really help the local economy, help farmers, things like that, and, and focus on Australian production. Um, do you mind just expanding on that and why it's so important for the business? Yeah, most definitely. So we are an impact-driven business. One, we don't only measure, you know, the amount of revenue that we that we that we produce, but we want to measure the actual positive impact that we have on the environment. Um, and this is, you know, as part of our ESG and also just part of being good corporate citizens in general. We track our impact in terms of how much money we generate for sheep farmers, how much polystyrene we're diverting from from landfill. Um, we also hire, you know. Uh, 
prisoners well uh, you know, on a day release program and that gives them an opportunity to work with well with us um so these are the, the the bits of impact that we're very very proud to you know to share to share with the, with our clients and also the, the greater community that we're not only a business that's trying to generate revenue but we're a business that's trying to do good for the world all in all. Um, we also have many, many big projects in terms of trying to accelerate uh, and improve our impact a lot more. Like we're looking at, uh, we've just invested about $5 million into a new plant down in Geelong. And this will allow us to take more wool, take different types of lower quality wool and just create, stimulate the local economy further still. So we're very proud of all these things and we really wear these accolades very proudly on our shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of accolades, um, I was looking at Joanne's LinkedIn and I saw a lot, like so many grants and even she's won a few awards. Must be like super exciting. And and I think like it goes to show that the amount of money and funding and grants and even investments in the VC space really shows that the space is growing. I, wa- I wonder if you can just explain to me a bit more about like VC funding in the space. Is that something that you've looked at or something you're looking to in the future? Yeah, we're looking at uh, not only VC funding, but we are looking at uh, our Series A at the moment. In fact, that's just began. So we're looking, of course, to raise, um, well, I believe it's roughly $10 million. And this is on, This is all going to be to accelerate our impact, but also to basically you know, vertically integrate all of our operations that so we own our entire supply chain. And this will accelerate many things such as R&D, but also just increasing our product lines and moving into new product verticals, such as building insulation and geotextiles. So we don't want to just be a packaging company anymore. We're going to grow into a much larger, much more dynamic company. Yeah, no, that's that's obviously quite exciting. And and I guess like when you want to like pitch your business to VCs and investors, I mean, a lot of these people, uh, you know, they might not come from a background um, that's focused on sustainability. And as such, it might take them a while to maybe take them, take them a while to understand your product. Have Has that been a challenge or have people sort of really understood and grasped the product very well? We probably years ago, this would have been a lot more difficult, but with, like we said before, with the drive towards sustainability, people are almost seeking us out. People yeah. want to be able to invest in a company that's going to make a positive impact for the future. Um, so relaying our message has not been that difficult, but where we really have successes when we sit down with these individuals and we speak to them and we let them understand the issues, especially around the polystyrene problem and also the imminent changes to legislation, not only in Australia, but all around the world, when you start to identify these things or help them identify these things, then you start to, then they really start to light up and understand that, yes, this is a mission and this is a, you know, a business that we can all get behind for good reasons. Yeah, awesome. And speaking about mission and, and things like that, how do you guys go about like looking at your values and, and looking at that from like a company level? Um, because you, you like you didn't mention you're very impact driven. And and how do you go about that at the same time focusing on money and making a profit and 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 revenue and things like that? It's a good question. I mean, end of the day, we we we're run by humans. We have we do have human yeah. emotions. We're not just uh, <laughs> on the back of an Excel sheet. So when we sit in a room together, we 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 share what is important to us. We share ways that we can make more impact. We share ways that we can uplift, you know, our communities or even our internal staff. What can we do to make people's lives better? What can we do to improve people's, you know, experience in the company? And these are just very human traits that we'd like to, you know, I guess, relay in the company format. So mm. uh, end of the day, it's just our company taking on our personality as being, you know, much a caring uh, and environmentally conscious company. That's really important. I guess like you you hear um, quite a few companies are becoming B Corps and corporate social responsibility um, and things like that. Um, would you say like 
that B Corp sort of thing is something you want to aim for in the future or? Yeah, so we're at the moment, we're just getting our B Corp certification. We're not too far off. In fact, it's just that we haven't completed yet, but it's, it's very, very close to. Um, and yes, of course, it is very, very important to be part of that, I guess, society of B Corp type of companies because these companies are certified to, you know, be making a positive impact in many, many different ways, you know, internally and externally from the company. So we're very proud of our progression in that sense. We're also proud of that we're just completing our life cycle analysis, a full life cycle analysis of our product, which again is important, not only for our own ESG recording and reporting, but also for companies who use our product because they want yeah. to know what is the impact of using your product on the environment and how does that compare with others that's super interesting because when you want to compare products, I think the key things that companies look for these days is probably like the cost, how easy it is to get the product. And I guess these days, especially how environmentally friendly it is. And I've heard a lot of things about this green premium, how sometimes products that are more environmentally friendly are actually more expensive. And I just wanted to understand how have you been able to keep keep prices quite reasonable for a product like yours, which maybe does not have like the scale of polystyrene as yet? Mm. So it's still an ongoing process, but we have managed to, of course, sourcing is the most important. We've managed to source a raw material that is, you know, cost competitive and low priced. And this has been the most important thing for us, making sure that we find ways to get the most cost competitive uh, raw material that we can get. And then, of course, streamlining all of our internal operations just to make sure we keep the cost as low as possible. On top of that, of course, like I mentioned, we are vertically integrating our operations, which means that we're going to have much greater control of our supply chains, but also much greater control of margins, meaning that we'll be able to maintain or even maybe lower these prices to keep a competitive edge on EPS. We are, of course, opening up a new place in Launceston, which is a new smaller facility. This is to get closer to the local market because we need to stay close to local markets to reduce the freight costs associated with delivering of our product. If you look at Australia's geography, it's a massive geography. Getting things from point A to point B is expensive in this country. So by having small localized manufacturing points, we'll be able to keep the costs down and deliver to the customer at a much more price competitive rate. So, of course, we have launch system that's opening up. We have Geelong that's in the way. We have, of course, an Auckland operation, which has already been up and running for a good long while. And we're looking to the future. We're looking to expand further, including into India. So would India be like the first place you want to expand to? And I guess if that is, why India? Yeah, so it is the first. It is going to be our first international expansion. We've already laid the groundwork for all of this to happen. Yeah. It has been a year and a half in the making, and uh, we're we're well on our way there. We just came back from India about two weeks ago, uh, spending two weeks there. You know, doing a bit of speaking to customers, speaking to possible manufacturers, speaking to distributors, and also attending trade shows just to raise awareness of our entry into the market. So yes, it is going to be our first international expansion. And the reason why that we're expanding to India is because the pharmaceutical market there is enormous. I mean, they're responsible for about 60% of all the pharmaceuticals produced in the world today. We have identified that pharmaceuticals much of the time need uh, insulative packaging by understanding how large the market is and the opportunity for sustainable alternatives to what they have, which is only polystyrene. We've seen that this market is entirely ripe for our arrival. Awesome. No, that's actually very, that's very, very exciting because I, I didn't know that the pharmaceutical industry great need for such products. So I think like it's really good that you've captured the market or trying to capture the market there. I did want to also talk about the Woolpack solutions and how you create like a tailor-made like Woolpack for various clients, various customers. Do you mind expanding a bit about that? Yeah. So 
we normally sit down and work with the customers on a consultative basis. So when we sit down, um, we find out what is the, you know, what are the pain points of the customer? What are you trying to solve? Um, then we try to design a solution around what they need. So for example, if a customer comes down to me and says, Lars, we need to send pharmaceuticals from point A to point B. I need them to be insulated for 24 to 48 hours. Um, I need them to be around this shape and the size of a box. Can you please help me design some sort of solution? So we will look into either creating maybe a box solution, a pouch solution, or maybe whatever else that we can creatively come up with together. And this is sort of our point of difference as well. We like to work with customers because we do have that flexibility to create something that is you know, retrofitable into the customer's needs and that will de deliver the insulated performance as well as cushioning performance that they need to get their product from point A to point B safely. That's very exciting. And do you mind just giving some examples of prospective customers or like the types of businesses who have really wanted demand of your product? Yeah, sure. So currently we do have a large cache of uh, businesses that we work with. Large names such as DHL are some of our clients. We also have Blackmore's as one of our larger clients. And then other clients who we consider large as well as Leica Pet Food, uh, IDEX Laboratories, and many, many more. They work across many different sectors. This includes, of course, like I mentioned, food and pharmaceutical, but also seafood, wine, chocolate, cheese, pet food, IVF, and the list goes on and on. I mean, we have a lot of customers. Um, in addition, we also do work with many different, I guess, left of field projects. Like recently, we worked with the University of Otago to create a bespoke solution for them to deliver ice cores from Antarctica to Otago University in New Zealand to study, you know, the effects of climate change. So we had to create a completely unique solution just for their, you know, just for the product that they were sending. And it was a complete success. Also keep in mind, Antarctica is the only place in the world that polystyrene is not allowed. So that's why they had to come with, a, with an alternative product. Wow, that's actually so interesting. Um, you actually had to develop a solution for that and you had to be in contact with people who would go to Antarctica. And exactly. And they sent us some fantastic pictures and we had to work with them to make sure that everything was correct, but everything worked out very, very well. Yeah, it was an exciting project. That's really awesome to hear, Lars. Um, no, it sounds super exciting. It's good that you're getting a wide variety of customers. Um, I also did want to talk about, I guess, the role that like government, like regulation can have on like a fast growing business like yours. And one of the very recent things that happened was in the state of Western Australia, they actually ban the sale and supply of single-use plastic cups. And firstly, would a lot of plastic cups be made out of polystyrene? It In the past, it was. Now, the reason was, again, the insulative capabilities of polystyrene. You would have noticed that there has, that shift has already happened on the consumer level yeah. and the business consumer level, because when was the last time someone really served you in a polystyrene cup? I mean, it's it's been a while. So, um, while I do admit that it is important for governments to make the legislations happen, yeah. I think with certain certain legislative changes, they might be a bit behind the eight ball, and yeah. they're making them you know these changes a bit too late in a sense. Mm. So. Um, yes, so that is, of course, one example with the plastic cups. We are seeing, again, a real, real push to change away from these problematic plastics. Um, but I think, to some extent, the government has moved a little bit too slow on this. And a little bit of a speeding up would be better because, of course, we are trying to accelerate these kind of changes for the benefit of humanity, really. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very, that's a very interesting point you mentioned, Lars, because... It's always keen to see how the private sector and the public sector like interact in terms of in terms of solutions and things like that. 
how do you see them sort of collaborating and, and, and working together in the circular economy space? So, yes, it, it is important for the private sector and the public sector to come together. And one, I mean, one really positive way that this has happened is through things like government grants and government initiatives. I mean, through the Modernizing Manufacturing Grant, which is, of course, a government-led grant, we've received, you know, $5 million so that we can uh, match the funding and create this and vertically integrate all our operations. But the reason that the government, of course, accepted this is because they understand the positive impact that we're going to make just by creating this type of a facility. We're creating what we like to consider um, a state-of-the-art um, fiber and wool processing facility that will not only be taking a forced wool, but will also be taking other fibers and finding a way to divert them from landfill and give them another life as a new product. So, I mean, this is a fantastic example of how private and public companies can work together. But not only that, of course, in the legislation space, we need to be sitting down and working together to see what is the roadmap ahead? How yep. can businesses, uh, you know, help and may help us reach these potential goals um otherwise you know then there isn't if there's no communication then there isn't much of a roadmap that that can be paved ahead sure and would plant protector be part of any like collaborative groups or any like organizations where you guys can have a say in like legislation or like in terms of in terms of various forums things like that yeah, so we are part of two that are that are quite powerful. In fact, we're part of quite a few. But the most important ones I would name would be a the APCO and ENS ANSPAC and the Australian New Zealand Packaging Pact. These are two very very important packaging centric, I guess, committees that have been formed, and they have many different roles that they play. But one of the things is, of course, to create this roadmap um, and this private and public partnership, um, so that we can pave the way forward with proper legislation proper solutions and alternatives. And we're very proud and very happy to be part of those two, um, I guess, steering committees, if you would. Yeah, no, that's so like, that's very exciting. And it's really good that they have a company like yours who's actually leading in the front. We, we spend a lot of time talking about the business. I want to spend a bit of time talking about you. Very keen to hear about what you do in your current role, because although you focus on sustainability and things like that, I'd be really keen to see like what sort of things you do and and, and how you support the team and how you lead the team. Yeah, sure. So I started off, of course, coming into the businesses, uh, I guess, a sort of a project management sustainability sort of role. And the main things that they we were looking to do was to research and develop products as we go along, because, of course, we were new and we needed to increase our product range. We needed to understand more about our product. And this role has really continued until now. So a large portion of my time and role is focused on research and product development, creating new products, patenting these products, finding ways to manufacture these products, finding which machinery we need just to you know to make these things happen so over the time um, I've helped or been a part of creating new products such as our lobster solution such as our vaccine solution our wine solution but also just helping us understand the science and the um, how we can you know basically improve the performance of our product through different you know manipulation of the fibers manipulation of the structure of the box using different uh, different materials and those are the kind of things that I've uh, that I've been a part of but in in addition to that I also do um I also do sit in a lot of meetings where I you know I guess I help to find the direction of the business where are we going to go what are the best opportunities for us what kind of new machinery we're going to purchase to increase our output speed and many many things like that so when it comes down to it um, I do my role is I mean my title is sustainability manager but a large portion of what I do is to assist in research and product development and also client consultation like I mentioned before. Perfect so it seems like your roles are quite wide-ranging and I guess you're wearing many hats at the same time 
I guess throughout the time you've been there, and Lars, you've been there for around four or five years. Um, well, since twenty seventeen, so <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah, so around that much, yeah. yeah, five years. And and in that time, um, I guess like you would have like developed and learned more about the business. And how has your role changed while the business and the industry has changed? Yeah. So of course, um, starting off. You know, I would have started off, um, I guess, slightly lower down, um, but of working my way through and working, basically growing in the company is what I've done. So now, I mean, I, I have the opportunity now to manage a small team. I have people who help me out in doing all sorts of, you know, I, I guess it is product research or if we're trying to collate some information, uh, you know, I'll have a team to help me do this. So, I mean all that really has happened is that I've gained more responsibility, but also they, I'm also looked at for, you know, a bit of, I guess, consultation guidance and ideas on ways that we can move forward in terms of strategic thinking, strategic future thinking, and ways that we can move the business forward in the best way. Awesome. No, that's really exciting. And I did want to also look at the soft skills because I think that strategic thinking is like super important as you develop. So I want to talk more about like soft skills and mentoring Mm -hmm. um, and what's your view on that and what are some tips? Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's a really, really good question. Now, I always like to think that you know, hard skills are great to get in the door, but if you really want to accelerate your progress, you need to develop your soft skills. And, you know, I've had to learn this as well as I've been going up and through the company. And that means, you know, how are your communication skills? How are your relationship building skills? Um, how are your, I guess, even general follow-up and, and e email management skills? These are skills that are, you can really learn in school, but you need to have a little bit more experience, you know, in front of people or around people to develop these kind of things because they are vital. End of the day, you want to deal with somebody who's much more human, who's easy to deal mm -hmm. with and create this bond and relationship with. And those have been some of the most important things that I've developed, or at least I've tried to develop during my time here. Um, I do also take part in quite a lot of mentoring um, with the uh, Enactus groups in uh, in many different universities. So I do try to mentor um, Enactus bubs as much as I can. And this, again, um, it can be not only hard skills that I try to teach, but also soft skills in the ways to do presentations and the way to you know, to target different messages and, and, and those kind of things. So it is important, like I said before, hard skills are very, very important, but also make sure when you've gotten in the door that you're developing those soft skills because those are what's going to help you grow significantly in a company. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think that mentorship thing is, that whole mentorship concept is like super important, even for me uh, in Greenfluence and just like supporting the team and they're all currently volunteers. I think that's so important. And I'm also involved in Enactus and really like the work they do. And I, I think the people there are like the future social entrepreneurs. So um, yeah, definitely like super exciting. Lars, I, I did want to also ask about what are some tips you have for young people in terms of getting into the space and working in circular economy? Uh, do you think that science background is super important? I don't believe it's too, well, it is important, and but it's not super important. I think yeah. more important is your ability to identify issues and look to work towards solutions for these issues. We have many, many issues that are happening in the world. Today. Yeah. Some of them are much more common that you hear, like, you know, trying to reduce the amount of carbon, trying to reduce the amount of waste. These are big issues, but there's also little ones in between that you need to identify. But if you can identify an issue and work your way through it systematically on how to solve it, then you can become a very good, you know, entrepreneur yourself, or you can even work in a, you know, in a small to medium sized business or even a large business because you have that process thinking where you're trying to solve issues systematically. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's probably one of the greatest pieces of advice. Yeah. Solving problems systematically. And it's not so much like dependent on 
what you study. It's like the skills you learn. I think that whole idea of a linear career where like what you study um, is linked to what you do. And like, I guess in the past, you'd have maybe one or two careers, but now like people are having so many more and using that skill set, um, right. which is like, yeah, definitely like very exciting to see. Mm. Um, and, then, and then Lars, I guess like for you, like what's next for you, like in terms of career and and the company and, and, and things like that? I know this is such an exciting time at Planet Protector. Is there any hints or any exciting things in the pipeline? So I've mentioned most of them, um, you know, mentioned both of them through through this the conversation that we've had today. But it's such an exciting time for the company. We're growing. I mean, we we're literally just at the foot of our Series A. We're uh, we're just starting our expansion into India, which might require, you know, which will require a lot of manpower and a lot of thinking, but a lot of exciting opportunities to learn yeah. and to, to travel and to you know to establish a whole new business which is just something that many people never get to do. And, and that's something I'm happy to be a part of. Not only that, I mean, we've just purchased a significant amount of machinery that's going to come onto Australian soil. So I'm yeah. part of the team that's helping at least set that up and to make sure that, you know, we're mitigating risk and we're setting up correctly. And so these are all these projects that are running. In addition to that, we still have so many products that we're developing on, you know, as we speak, we're working with many different industry professionals and industry sectors to develop new products specific for them so in between those three products uh, projects at the moment i'm being kept busy enough that i can't see any changes in the first in the medium term at least yeah that's so exciting and i'm sure like your team will grow like over the months and over the years so for any uh greenfield listeners out there you might want to get in touch with lars because there's a lot of exciting things happening to finish up i did want to get into speed round questions they're going to be around 30 seconds to one minute responses are you ready for them yep ready Okay, perfect. What's the best piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? I would say take risks on things that you really enjoy and things that you're passionate about. Now, it may be, I mean, that is uh, the advice that everyone gives all the time, but it is true to identify that you're very passionate about and do try to find and carve a career out of it. That is really important. Even if you don't find it initially, make sure you keep looking. Yeah, no, that's definitely a very good point. I guess another question I wanted to ask is obviously you're quite well versed in this space, but what are some really exciting trends in the circular economy space at the moment? Um, I believe that in the circular economy, at least from where from where I'm looking at it, is the waste management side, and I think that's going to be a huge, um, you know, a, a huge piece of potential in the future. So waste management is ways that we can take all the waste that we're generating in households and giving it a new life. And I think there's so many small problems to be solved in this space that there's such an exciting place to be in. We're doing our part with textiles, but I think there's many other opportunities for other people to find ways to creatively um, you know, mitigate the, sorry, reduce the amount of waste that we generate and give that waste a new life. Awesome. Like, would you say there are any other ones? Specifically, um, and this is, again, uh, I, I'm really just speaking about the waste. Specifically, we're, we're starting to see a lot of things in the chemical engineering space that are very, very exciting when it comes to taking a material and treating with certain chemicals just to convert it into new materials. That is very specific, of course, to chemical engineers and chemists in general. But I think there's a lot of exciting things happening in that particular space that in the next five to 10 years are going to be quite significant. Awesome. Something to keep an eye on. Finally, Lars, we've heard all about Plant Protector, but where can listeners go to learn more about your organization and how can they play a part in supporting you guys? Yeah, perfect. So, I mean, the best place to start is definitely our website. We have lots of information there. YouTube, we do have a bits and pieces of videos that you can watch. If you go to anywhere that you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you will be able to listen to Joanne speak on other various podcast platforms that she's been a part of. Um, and if you want to ever get in touch with us, or if you want to learn more about us or even support us in any way, 
please do visit our website. We do also have a campaign that, we, that is still going ongoing that we call the EU Beauty Campaign, as in EWE Beauty, which is our campaign uh, towards the government to help us bring wool manufacturing back on Australian shores. And it was very, very successful in the past, but it's still an ongoing thing. So if you want to learn more about that campaign, do visit our EU Beauty Campaign. Um, yeah, and then, of course, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, I really learned so much about wool and polystyrene and really opened my eyes because it's one of those things you take for granted when you order a meal kit. You just want to get your meal and then you might put it in landfill and, and there it goes. You don't see that impact it makes. And it's so exciting that you're actually using wool, which would otherwise be wasted. And I think like that's the whole premise of this new economy. How do we give things a second life? And I think that's so exciting. And it seems like what you guys are doing with clients and especially that trip to Antarctica uh, in terms, yeah, and, and yeah, I think that's so interesting and it's so exciting to like see your business grow and I wish you and Joanne and the rest of the team all the best in the future. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on board, Lars. Uh, thank you so much, Viz. I mean, this is a lot of fun and it always is a lot of fun and it's especially good because then you get to, I guess, spread the message and spread the impact and spread your ideas and hopefully give people some inspiration as well in the meantime. What'd you think? Planet Protector Packaging is such an interesting company and such a unique sector of sustainability. Lars is yet another example, like many of our guests at Greenfluence, of how being passionate when you're young can bring you amazing employment opportunities. If you're new to Greenfluence, thanks for joining us, and hopefully you feel inspired to listen to our previous and future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it and are so excited to grow our Greenfluence community. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, Check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links to our socials are in the show notes. We'd appreciate if you leave us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And we'll see you next time.